0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you
1: did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at quiz.fox.
0: Even if you fall, it is such a long way up when you hit the ground sometimes. But get up! Get up now! I know. I know. You're probably saying, come on, Liz. It's harder than, than you're making it out. But uh, that's what everyone talks to Liz. This podcast will always show you how to do. Not just tell but show through unbelievable people who've done it. The ultimate comeback, I think you'd agree, is when you have a spectacular fall. That's a negative connotation though. Um, you experience an epic failure. And you haul your tuchus back up and fight to win. I'm Liz Klayman, everybody. So glad you're hanging out with me. So usually success stories involve lots of early failures until finally fabulous success years later is achieved, right? But today we actually have a story that flips the old start at the bottom story. This one involves a guy who at bat for the very first time in the business world smacks the ball not only out of the park but into the upper orbit – but then suffers one of the most public strikeouts, I guess you could call it, in business history and gets kicked off the team for a time. It's his comeback part deux that makes Steph Paterno, founder of the dot-com era, darling. I don't know if some of you remember this or not. I do, the globe.com, author of a very public offering worthy of your podcast choice today. We welcome Steph, who today is the CEO and co-founder of Slated. Welcome to uh, Everyone Talks to Liz, Steph.
1: Good to be here, and that's quite an intro
0: <laughs> <laughs> of course you're like, what am I doing on this thing? Okay <laughs> Steph, I knew you well before you knew me. I got hired by cnbc i it was April of nineteen ninety eight just as the dot com bubble was inflating. I came from local news in Boston, and up until CNBC called to hire me, I was covering you know drug bust murders, chocolate festivals, whale carcasses <laughs> floating up off the coast. But when I got to CNBC they told me that one of my first assignments would be to do a profile on you and your co-founder Todd Kreiselman and the internet startup you created in 94 in your Cornell dorm room, the Globe.com. And For people who don't know what that is it was sort of, you tell me if I'm wrong here but sort of an Etsy meets Yahoo with a little Reddit thrown in
1: <laughs> Wow, <laughs> that's quite a mashup uh, <laughs> It's uh, I mean, it's described now by people who live in the Internet and use social networks as one of the first social networks. But back then, we didn't call it that. It was just uh, one of the world's first online virtual communities. But the idea was entirely uh, to create an environment where people interact with other people with like interests. You create a sort of online virtual family and talk to them and share with them and Share photos with them, and so it was your it was your place to live online.
0: Yeah, I remember it well. And uh, so you were prepping to take it public in
1: 1998,
0: mm-hmm. and um, they they gave me this assignment, and I'm looking at the research, and I'm thinking these guys are. Wow, the Globe.com, like you said, it was a social network before the term social network even existed. So, Steph, I really want to play a little bit of a word association game or a (laughs) name association game because you have this innate ability to distill things really quickly. I'm going to throw out some company names and people names, but some of these companies are now defunct, but from that same internet go go era as the Globe. And we'll sprinkle in some names too. Oh, but um, <laughs> we'll see. All right. Uh, let me throw, I don't know if our listeners remember this Excite at Home. This was an internet search portal that uh, I think Excite got an offer to buy Google for $750,000 mm-hmm. and passed on it. We know where that story went. Gut reaction.
1: Oh, Excite. I knew I knew the guys at Excite. Excite had the better search technology. In many ways, they were the Betamax to Yahoo's VHS.
0: <laughs> they just
1: came a little late to the game with a better tech, um, and no, it didn't matter. Yahoo was just too far ahead.
0: Boo.com. These are the guys that blew through, oh. what, 135 million of venture capitalist money in 18 months and went belly up in 2000?
1: Well, that's a famous story, and I really, you know, boo-hoo for them. <laughs> <laughs> Th- this is a classic example of internet manias in full swing, and you get a bunch of entrepreneurs who want to quickly get rich quick with their scheme, and investors who have total fear of missing out, throwing as much money as they can at them, and them burning through that money as fast as they can to make their mark. It was like that's the classic example of everything that went wrong with the internet, mm-hmm. and makes and made all of us seem like you know frauds yeah. when mm-hmm. we sh- when we weren't.
0: Razorfish. This was an ad agency. I think in the go-go mm-hmm. days they had belly dancers and Krispy Kreme donuts and and trannies running around with burgers during their parties. But they kind of <laughs> defined the excesses of the late 1990s.
1: Yeah, uh, I remember them. They were in our backyard in New York City. Uh, they were one of the more pioneering agencies. They were they were they were way ahead of the curve. But I think, you know, like the globe.com they were ten years too early and maybe yeah let let some mm-hmm. of their flamboyant side so get out of hand
0: i want to throw out some people's names now this is going back tim kugel now tim was brought in as the grown-up at yahoo after jerry yang and david filo had gotten it up and running mm-hmm.
1: i didn't know tim personally uh, we had emailed with david uh, Philo and jerry mm-hmm. yang when yeah. we asked them to list the globe in their search engine uh, <laughs> but tim kugel i just remember him coming across as like a zen master he was He's the guy pulling the strings on the marionettes and 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 when the bubble burst he just vanished I've never seen him or heard from him again. I don't yeah. even know if he's alive. He,
0: he is. I think he's he's into some real estate developments, but he also went into um, some sort of green soap companies and things like that. Wow. But he was very zen, yes.
1: Totally. Um,
0: let me throw this one out. Mark Zuckerberg.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that name gets mentioned around me a lot. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny because when when Zuckerberg started Facebook – um, and people asked me, how do I feel about that? I I was envious. I was jealous. I was thinking, you know, I wanted to poo-poo the whole thing while we were the first. Um, but then when people started saying, wow, this whole social networking concept is amazing, I then felt proud to be associated to Mark and Facebook. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. This mm-hmm. whole social networking thing was real, and he's a genius, and we were also doing that. And then eventually uh you know now when everything's going wrong again and now everyone's comparing me still to Mark Zuckerberg I'm like ah oh, god <laughs> no, actually could you okay there's parts of him I'm proud to be associated to but he needs to get it <laughs> together
0: yeah mark cuban
1: i feel like he's the perfect example of better to be lucky than smart
0: Although he's very smart, but I know what you mean.
1: He's very smart. Uh, so I'll, I'll give him that. Um, but he was very lucky with the timing, timing of the product and the sale of Yahoo. And he wouldn't be a billionaire today. Uh,
0: broadcast.com. Broad- yeah Broadcast.com. Broadcast. Broad- broadcast. broadcast. yeah.
1: But he is sharp. So I, I'll give him that. But he, you know, again, lucky, <laughs> lucky wins. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos. Man, that guy is smart and ruthless. And <laughs> I'm terrified. <laughs>
0: Okay, Marissa Meyer.
1: You know, Marissa Meyer oversaw the collapse of Rome. Uh, I mean, Yahoo was Rome, Mm. and it came collapsing down, and I quite frankly can't tell whether she slowed its demise or accelerated its demise. But, I mean, she, uh, you know, and I, I don't know, this the, the fact that she always dressed like she was going to the Met Gala always sort of <laughs> raised a yellow flag in my head. Um, so, yeah, I feel like there's a bit of a tragedy there uh, with Yahoo, but. I'm sure she's cashed out and doing great.
0: Well, you were the guy who wore the plastic pants too. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, let, let's right. just let's just bring that up if you're bringing up. That's wardrobe. absolutely
1: true. Yeah. I was, I was, I was, <laughs> I was watching Rome burn as well, and I was dancing on it.
0: Yeah, you were, you were wearing pleather pants. I, I, I just need to see a
1: picture. Of vinyl. That. It's even worse.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, don't call it vinyl now. It's vegan leather.
1: Um, oh my god.
0: Okay, the Winklevoss brothers.
1: Oh God. Um, <laughs> Well, I only know them from the from the Facebook movie and, mm-hmm. and the story behind it all, and I, I can't tell whether those guys are geniuses or just, again, lucky. You know, lucky that Zuckerberg built Facebook and they got a big check out of it and lucky mm-hmm. that they then put it all onto Bitcoin.
0: Let me throw um, the final name at you, Elon Musk.
1: Elon is brilliant, but he's erratic or eccentric. I can't quite tell the difference. Maybe both. And um, if he's not careful... Uh, he's gonna get ousted by his own creations just like Steve Jobs.
0: Take me mm-hmm. back to nineteen ninety-eight before you went public. What were you thinking? What were you guys doing?
1: Well, we'd been in a it had been a four-year sprint to build this concept into a reality and try to keep up with its growth because at at one point once we'd unlocked the power of online social interaction, it grabbed us by the nose and was pulling us. And we couldn't even raise enough money to keep it running and, and keep it up because we, we couldn't throw enough servers at the problem. It was growing so fast. Uh, but during that period of time, the Internet mania hadn't kicked in. The, the traditional venture world was only interested in financing what had been companies like Intel and Apple, hardware makers or software makers, traditional software makers a la Microsoft mm-hmm. and Adobe and whatnot. So venture capital firms are having trouble getting their heads around how to value and how to, what the business models were of some of these internet companies. And one of the first ones that came along that stumped a lot of people, but then they got on the bandwagon was Netscape. Uh, and then Netscape blew up and people started saying, wait, what is this internet thing? It's obviously something. And then eventually Yahoo went public and people started to understand, okay, it's a directory and you can find websites and, um, advertising hadn't been really invented until the mid to late nineties. So people started to realize, okay, Yahoo can sell ads. Okay. So they got a lot of, they get a lot of eyeballs. They sell targeted ads and then they're helping people find other websites to go to. And then finally the globe came along and. Again, the venture firms had trouble getting their head around this notion of a a destination site. You're not a search directory. You're not selling software. You're a place where people (laughs) hang out. What does that mean? How do you make money? Why can't you guys take your your technology and tools and package it up and sell it?
0: What were your meetings with venture capitalists like back then?
1: They were challenging, in part because Todd and I were 20 years old and baby-faced, and they were just, you know, it was a little bit unnerving for them to be facing a couple of kids, and it was scary for us because we didn't know how to pitch. We didn't know what they expected. All we knew is is we got these users. They're spending an increasing amount of time. It's going up exponentially, Um, and they couldn't get their heads around that. So it was hard for us to raise money at first. Until, again, Netscape went public, then Yahoo went public, and then a few more companies went public. And I think then we started selling ads on our site. And we also had a subscription model up for for a while, Uh, but we realized that that subscription model was slowing down our growth because Mm. people had to choose between using uh, the globe uh, and paying a, a few bucks a month to go and chat versus free services on Yahoo. So we took down the paywall. We just exploded in growth. Uh, we very quickly became one of the top uh, 30 most trafficked sites in the world, uh, which back then, by the way, was pretty small because there were only uh, 100, 200 million internet users when when the internet was at its peak back then.
0: I mean, you you had just brought up servers and, and trying to get the right. actual equipment to to be able to harness all of these millions of people discovering the globe.com. I'm thinking of, of that show Silicon Valley where Gilfoyle, the, you know the techie guy is... <laughs> yeah setting, you know, servers are catching fire and smoking because so many people were on board. Uh, Where were you doing this? You know, you guys were at the forefront. This is so cool.
1: I mean, the Silicon Valley show now makes a cliche out of what was actually a real problem back then. (laughs) So this was back in the era when when we wanted to have, uh, when we originally set up at Cornell, we were Cornell students and we moved off campus and got ourselves an office above a student agency. And when we wanted to have some bandwidth installed, we had to go and negotiate directly with MCI and had to convince them to install a T1 line, which was <laughs> one and a half megabits, and they were going to charge us $4,000 a month for it. So back then, uh, you know, scrounging together $4,000 a month for what amounts to just one and a half megabits of bandwidth is, is outrageous by today's standards. Yeah. But that's what we had to do, so it was a big deal. Um, and then we had to throw servers uh, as many servers at th- at this as we could handle. And again, servers back then were one thousand times more expensive for the performance versus where they ended up being. You know, by the time Facebook came along, so uh, servers melting because we literally <laughs> had to push them to the envelope. Because you know, you can't afford more servers. You certainly don't want to keep throwing more expensive computers at it. So you start to uh, to chip the clocks on these servers. You try to use little cheats to accelerate the rate at which the CPUs go. And when you do that, you overheat the CPU. So we had a number of times the most experimental hardware set up so that we could push the envelope an extra 10%, 20%, a and little, then the servers uh, would catch fire.
0: Yeah, a little technological uh, duct tape, I'm sure, spit so, in sealing wax.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so that's literally how it was back in the dark ages of the Internet. And, you know, by the time we got to our IPO... I think the market was starting to become a little bit clearer to people. Sure. Oh, okay, so sites like The Globe, people hang out, they spend time, they sell ads. I guess it's sort of like getting an audience on a TV show and selling ads against that, right? So people started to get their heads around it. Um, and that is what got, I think, that's what captured most people's imaginations when we finally mm-hmm. in 98 went on a road show. is that we were the only well-known online community whose entire business model was all about getting users to engage with each other like chat rooms and home pages and personal spaces what what now you know you would have think you think as your social media activity feed yeah. so back then it really got people excited by 98 and we happened to be one of the only companies on the road pitching this concept and showing them this incredible parabolic growth and engagement and you know that's what ultimately well that and a few market factors uh, i don't know how much you remember back about the Long-term capital management collapse, oh, the ruble yes. collapse. Like the, the whole world seemed to go through a sudden collapse in the late ni- in 98, mm-hmm. which which meant 100-plus companies canceled their IPOs. And we became one of the only companies that continued the IPO. And when the markets finally turned, everyone piled into our IPO. Well, it surprised all of us.
0: Yeah, you know, my, my father used to say the only difference between salad and garbage is timing. Your timing for the IPO was unbelievable. In 1998, November 13th, I remember it well. It made history. It saw the biggest first-day price jump in the history of initial public offerings up until that point. What was the morning like (laughs) before you IPO'd on the NASDAQ?
1: Uh, Well, Todd and I, my my partner Todd Kraselman and I were both – nauseous um, (laughs) because the market had the market had been collide had been the market had closed for IPOs we were running out of money suddenly we were being told by Bear Stearns the phones are ringing off the hook everyone wants to buy into your IPO it looks like we could potentially pull this off and we also had our our S1 filing was going to go stale the following Monday and so we're here Friday the 13th of November 1998 (laughs) And Todd and I are like, okay, so this is our one shot. If we don't do it, we run out of cash. If we do do it, and, you know, that's this grand experiment and hoping that somehow the market holds up and it doesn't explode in our face faces. And that morning, we hopped in a taxi, went up to Bear Stearns. Uh, Todd and I were, were told to wait in a conference room and waited and waited. And then finally they called us into one of their trading floors where we met with Ace Greenberg. Yep who was busy doing card tricks uh, with our, our chairman and with Todd and I and showing us why he's called Ace Greenberg. Mm-hmm. And then they started telling us, um, you know, we had priced, our, our IPO was priced to go at uh, $9 a share, which was way, it was below our offering range. Again, the market had been dead up until the day before. And all of a sudden they're telling us, guys, the IPO is not going to, it's not going to price at $9. at nine And so Todd and I were like, oh, here we go. This is just a disaster. (laughs) And they said, no, it actually looks like it's going to open between $20 to $30 a share. And Todd and I were shocked. I mean, we're shocked because market was dead. We probably shouldn't be going public. And now they're telling us it's pricing twice as high as we expected. And every half hour they would come back in and say, okay, it's not pricing it." 20 to 30. And we're like, okay. So what is it really pricing at? And they're like, well, actually, it looks like it's going to price 50 to 60.
0: Oi. Wow.
1: All of us, including Ace Greenberg, are like, what is going on here? This is bizarre. Um, I mean, an IPO is supposed to be priced close to market. Like, you know, maybe 15, a 15% discount would be nice. Uh, but at this point, we're, we're at a tiny fraction of what the market is telling us. And by 11 a.m., um, I mean, my stomach's in knots. I think I'm going to throw up. And <laughs> finally, they t- they call us into the trading floor and bring us to this—I don't know what you, you call it—a bull pit, a, where, where there's a bunch of traders yeah. gathered around a few monitors. And then they start a countdown. And uh, once they get down to one, they then one of the traders yells out 87. Oh. And I was like, 87 what? <laughs> what is he referring to? And it was like, 87 dollars. <laughs> You're at eighty-seven, and two seconds later, it's like ninety-seven, and the entire room stopped. There's hundreds of traders who stop and suddenly get up from their monitors and look over at us. So, like, the room goes from this giant cavern to like all these prairie dog heads turning around to look at us, and they're they're yelling and screaming, and everyone is like, it's not an applause, it's just this giant, Aah! and uh, you know, it's it, it becomes this manic, frantic atmosphere, this energy, and they're yelling, and the stock's then comes down to 70, and then back up to 80, and then back up to 95, and it's going up and down and up and down, and then my phone starts ringing, and everyone's phones start ringing, and now we're being told that this story's airing on CNN. It's airing everywhere. I'm getting phone calls from people in Europe and in Asia and everywhere, and just saying, you guys are on the news right now. And so we inadvertently had created some sort of world record price opening, (laughs) which... You know, I'm going from feeling nauseous and like I'm going to vomit to euphoric and I can't even speak anymore. My voice, my throat is hurting so much.
0: Were you doing at any point a moment where you and Todd ran into the restroom or into a hallway or another room and doing any math on what you were worth on paper at that moment?
1: It it didn't require um, running around and doing math because we each owned a million shares of the company. So... That, you know, we owned at this point, maybe 10% of the company each. And so it worked out to a million shares times 97. Oh my God. I'm worth 97 million. How did that happen? I'm
0: telling you, I remember that day. We were covering it heavily. (laughs) And I remember thinking, these are the, the kids that I was just talking to a couple of weeks ago in their dorm room. I mean, it's unbelievable. Now, at its, let's make one point here. The underwriter, Bear Stearns, is a bank that no longer exists. Correct. So that happily predicates what we now turn to. And let me just quickly, though, get to the point of at its height, you had what? Mm -hmm. More than 300 employees. You were one of the most traffic sites in the world. Mm -hmm. When did things start to deteriorate and did you notice?
1: Yes, uh, we certainly noticed. And I would say that the first signs, uh, were from the day of the IPO. Really? Because we, it seemed insane that we could suddenly go up a thousand percent in one day when we'd been dead two days before. And when you realize something goes up, so wildly and largely out of your control doesn't that mean something bad could happen to you as well completely out of your control so that was a feeling in the back of our heads and our own chairman i remember him turning to us michael egan and saying you know well good luck boys because this is probably untenuous and so that was the first ominous foreshadowing (laughs) of what was going to happen now the weekend was fine it was us being on cloud nine and and you know, having to pinch myself to realize it was real. And then we were in all the newspapers and on all the talk shows, but by early the following week, the stock opened up and dropped to the sixties. And that's when we realized, wait, we didn't do anything between Friday and Monday, so mm-hmm. how did it suddenly go down so fast? And again, you know, every it's 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 like a sports show. It's like a betting show. Everyone's talking about it, like, oh, who which horse is coming out ahead now? And it's you know, it's it's typical you know, typical business show. Well, what's become typical now. Uh, back then, it was still sort of novel to be turning a uh, stock price into a piece of pop culture conversation. Uh, but we realized at that point, oh, wow, we're going to have to stop just looking at our stock price and actually just get back to focusing on the business, right? Like, let's just grow those users, grow the advertisers, go, 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 don't look back.
0: Yeah, do um, do your business.
1: Do your business. But there was a, there was a big catch, and uh, you, you touched on it for a second when you mentioned Bear Stearns, because we had been priced so low, we'd been underpriced uh, at our IPO, and then we had shot up to ninety-seven. We had mm. inadvertently left a couple hundred million or more dollars on the, on the table. table, and all that money went into the pockets of all of Bear Stearns' institutions, who all flipped their stock that day. You know, normally when you pull in when you do a roadshow and pull in institutional investors, they want to know about the long-term prospects of the company because. You know they're coming in now. They're, they're they're jumping into something that's new and riskier, and for that they're going to get a little discount, uh, and in exchange for that little discount they're going to buy big chunks of stock and hold for the long term. And here they were all so blown away with their returns in one day. They had no lockup agreements. They all flipped the stock they got out. Oh. And who bought? Who bought in? All mom and pops. Everyone who's watching the news freaking out about. The fear of missing out, uh, you know, of, uh, being in an Internet uh, company. And so they all bought in, and we just ended up with a lot of small, highly inexperienced, volatile traders and uh, or shareholders. And I think, again, you know, the sign was there. Like, oh, something's just happened where the tail could start wagging mm-hmm. the dog mm-hmm. here, where the dog being the business, uh, the tail being really shareholders, the media, the excitement, the swinging up and down and so i think again these were all sort of accumulating signs in the back of our head but they were drowned out by the general euphoria that the world was experiencing with this new dot-com revolution right so So very quickly it was never mind with the globe and your stock there's so many more of these companies and it's growing so for a while it wasn't clear uh how big the bubble was going to get or when it was going to burst and we had to just keep playing along.
0: Well, I remember that any company, could could have been any company, no matter what they did, widgets, if they made an announcement that they were starting, and these were the key words, an internet strategy, that day, their stock would skyrocket. Yep. It was unbelievable. And and that's all they had to say. And there was a point where I don't know, some gadget company came out and they said, we're going to have an internet strategy, which maybe meant a website. Their stock jumped 38%, and I – listen, I came from regular news, so to me, it looked a little strange, but people start to question themselves and their choices in life and say, well, why aren't I on this bandwagon? And so they jump on. But who at this time – we can tell that Bear Stearns may have given you guys bad advice or did you a little bit wrong, but who gave you good advice at the time?
1: So some of the the good advice that certainly would hold true when the laws of physics aren't being reversed – uh where our uh, one of our early investors and board members uh, Bob Halperin who had made his money uh helping build Intel from scratch among other companies and his his words of advice were just focus on the business and the stock price will take care of itself right mm-hmm. seems like wise sage advice yes. right just keep yes. building better widgets and the sales will increase and the market will recognize it so we did that and our user counts just kept growing. Our page views kept growing. Our ad sales kept growing. We were doing everything right. Um, and for a while, our stock gradually started to move back up and up and up until we eventually in 99 saw our stock almost get back up to an all time high. Um, I would say that that part, it got aided when, when Yahoo decided, wow, online communities are a great idea. And they went and bought GeoCities. So one of our arch rivals got, got bought for several billion dollars. And so then the market said, oh, my God, well, the globe is probably next. And then our stock rocketed up like almost back to $100 a share. Mm -hmm. But, you know, never mind that, you know, again, it it showed me that the power of excitement uh, dwarfed the power of just reality. And so people get more excited about the potential of what the globe could be and who would buy it and the Internet versus just Oh, okay, so they doubled the revenues quarter over quarter. Yeah, okay, fine. That's, that's, that's good, but who cares? So those words of advice from the board member about take care of your business and the yeah. stock will take care of itself would be normal and applicable to any business at any time in history except, except during a st- bubble. <laughs> And, uh, so, you know, as soon as the mania around GeoCities getting bought died down, our stock started to slip again. And even if our revenues grew and grew and grew, mm-hmm. and then we went and did a secondary offering and raised another, we finally then raised the, the money and the capital we should have raised at our IPO another 150 million. So we were flush with cash, we're growing, and the stock price just kept dropping.
0: Talk about the moment you found out that the stock would be delisted.
1: Oh well, that's a while. That's a little later. Yeah. Um, that was like uh, that was after actually the the bubble burst. Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: but it's almost like a death, wouldn't it be? A, uh, a yeah, business I mean, death.
1: Well, it's the last step. I mean, if you if you're going to get delisted, it's that so many things have already gone wrong mm-hmm. that quite frankly, that's the least of your problems. Uh, because technically, even if you're delisted from the NASDAQ, your stock, as small as it is, if it's under a dollar a share, can still yeah. keep trading. Uh, but, but yeah, so well, to the extent that you believe an IPO is an accolade and it's it's a legitimizing event about your business, then being delisted would seem like the removal. You're being stripped of that award mm-hmm. and it's a slap in the face. There's no question. What was it like but, for
0: you, like your lowest point? Because then I want to get to the higher the point that comes after that. <laughs> I, You know, you're working with me here.
1: Uh, but the lowest point of what me psych, personally, psychologically, or yeah, the company? Yeah. Um, well, at the lowest point, <clears throat> the lowest point for me was definitely in late 99 when internet mania is in full swing. Everyone's chasing after the next shiny new object, right? So you've been left behind. At this point, everyone would rather just go buy the next hot stock, call it a e toys You been. You bid, you name it. Like just everyone, every everyone, everyone's got a new, hot, amazing thing. Pets.com, exactly. uh, You know, Boo, whoever. Just private companies, public companies. Forget the Globe; they're old news. (laughs) So that was, you could see that you had lost. You were no longer the the hot kid, the shiny new object. So that's the first part, and you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep getting, just stay focused on the business. But you keep growing the business, and your stock keeps dropping. And so by the fall of '99, our stock was closer to being back at the IPO price. And then it was apparent to me there was very little we could do business-wise to turn people's perception around. So that was weighing on me. Um, then I had a personal uh, matter that occurred w- with my father where he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and uh, was was about to pass away. And so I just that just threw me for a loop because I had a complex relationship with my dad. Uh, so, you know, all these things weighed down on us, and then Todd and I finally, in the beginning of 2000, right on the heels of having our best quarter ever, um, found, found out that a couple of our employees uh, were going down and meeting with the, the chairman of our company and basically explaining how there should be a change of leadership in the company. And it, it, was, it was what Todd and I would consider a bit of a betrayal by a couple of our employees but really um that wasn't it i think todd and i at as as everything was weighing on us we were we could see that not far ahead of us was going to be a wall mm. that was going to hit the entire internet we could see it the bubble was overinflated everyone was chasing after the next new shiny thing everyone's trying to outspend each other todd and i could see we were pr- actually probably a great example of the canary in the coal mine what was happening to us was going to happen to everyone and you know, under this type of pressure, when we're that young and you know running a billion-dollar company, I think Todd and I realized there's not much we're going to be able to do to turn this around. Maybe it's time for us to step aside, and maybe we should bring in a, a wiser, yeah. older, gray-haired CEO and see if see if everyone was right that you know we need a steady, a new steady hand at the helm. And so we went ahead and did that, and mm-hmm. Todd and I resigned and just became board members and found a new CEO. But the rest is history. The bubble yeah. burst. Everything went down in flames anyway. So.
0: Well, now, now let's go to the recent history.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's talk about the best example, and this comes back to our listeners here, the best example of how strongly uh, people can come back after an mm-hmm. epic fall. And that is what you're doing right now. You are now the CEO of a company you co-founded called Slated which Mm -hmm. matches filmmakers with financiers, with money, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Talk about this because we've just finished with the Oscars and you have a very interesting sort of metric that is looking very good for Slated. So talk about what Slated does first.
1: Uh, So Slated is the world's first online film finance marketplace. Um, And for those who don't know much about the film industry – it's a massive industry with several hundred billion dollars a year. Capital getting invested into film and television all over the world, and that much money being spent by consumers buying that product. And the that industry has been big and messy and complicated and fragmented and opaque and uh, so challenging that most people consider getting a movie, a hit, a hit movie or any movie made, is a miracle. Mm-hmm. And we decided. That's true we decided, you know what, this sounds exactly like a a challenge for the Internet. Could the Internet potentially help solve that problem and create an online version of the film industry where it's way easier to be matched up to a great script and bring on a great director, an actor, producer, and maybe some great financiers and a sales agent distributor and marry them together and have it be more transparent and efficient. And that was our thesis, and we launched Slated in 2012. And uh, have iterated and iterated, slated 1.0, slated 2.0, slated 3.0, <laughs> and we now find ourselves being not only the market leader, uh, but as o- over the last few years, half of over half of all the Oscar-nominated movies have been made by slated members, producers, directors, writers, actors. Wow! Um, so it's 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 turning in. I don't want to say it's, it's we've won. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, it's it's a long journey. We've certainly not transformed the film industry yet. But we're well on our way to proving that there there was a huge problem that needed to be solved. Uh, people are really enjoying having a much easier way of putting together great movies. You know, this wasn't uh, this wasn't an overnight success. I mean, it's taken me 20 years since the Globe right. to find myself, pick myself back up, figure out what I could really be good at, and really learn lessons from everything. Yeah. And And get slated launch.
0: Steph, what is it that kept you afloat emotionally because I bring up something that happened recently mm-hmm. that affected me deeply watching the aftermath of it. Uh, Colin crawl, who was a young and dynamic CEO he was running HQ trivia. he had come into a lot of money, mm-hmm. certainly older than when you had your horrific experience. he was 34 and he had just overdosed. He's gone now. And a lot of people afterwards said, too much too soon. He had been an executive at Twitter. Who knows? Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: clearly, people can spiral when they're thrown into this world where your whole value and existence uh, by shallow people certainly is related directly to a rising or dropping stock price.
1: Yes. I mean, that's a a tragic story. Um, and everyone had heard of HQ trivia, you know, it was a very recent wild success. I think what kept me grounded may simply be the way I was raised, the strong family foundation, um, and stepping away from the globe when I did not, not staying around when it was all going down in flames and Not trying to rush to find another quick fix to my life, but Mm. actually taking pause, getting back to the absolute basics of my life. It took me, again, I mentioned it's been 20 years or maybe 18 years since the globe ended. Those first 10 years were soul-searching. That was me in the wilderness asking myself, why am I here? What am I doing? What matters? And just reconnecting with old friends and actually noticing the food I'm eating for the first time because everything had been such a rush before. So again, when you get back to the absolute basics and the the fundamentals of who you are, why are we here? What matters to you? What do I want to create? What do I want my legacy to be? You, you take time, you take stock. Uh, it wasn't, it was definitely an emotional roller coaster trying to find my way to slated. Um, but definitely not right. indulging in the drug taking and alcohol binging and any any of those those type of vices that help you really cover up the pain you're in. Um, that's definitely going to take you in the wrong direction. Absolutely. So I, I let go of any of those type of things. I mean, if if that was going on, that was going on, you know, pr- before the days of the globe and everything seemed amazing. Um, and maybe during the globe but afterwards it was like let's put everything aside and let's focus and it took me 10 years of focus to finally create a foundation under my feet.
0: I'll tell you something, I think Slated is brilliant. I grew up in Los Angeles, Beverly Hills. Everybody's dad was a studio chief except mine. (laughs) My dad was a a urologist who checked their prostates but um, you know (laughs) we, we really watched all of these people with the distribution in the heyday of the 70s and 80s and 90s and now distribution is almost impossible people talk about the death of it and you are the guy who I think uh, history will show saved it i guess disrupted it and is going to find a way to help people who deserve to get their movies made get them on the screen congratulations wow, from
1: your from your mouth to God's ears thank you
0: we are talking to Steph Paterno formerly of the globe.com and now of slated great to talk to you and you're a friend of ours anytime thank you so thank much you. my pleasure so thanks for listening to everyone talks to liz we'll hear you next time